live opinions, descriptions, and accounts expressed on the Best of Times Radio Hour are those of the hosts and the guests of this show, and not necessarily those of Town Square Media or this station. Consult with your attorney, accountant, or other professional for final advice in making your decision. The Best of Times, live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana. Celebrating age and maturity. Helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The Best of Times. Your host, Gary Coligas. Good morning, Architects listeners. I'm Gary Coligas, the publisher of the Best of Times News, the only news magazine for mature adults in northwest Louisiana. Thank you for tuning into our show today. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn about a new best-selling novel, The King's Deception, by the internationally known author and historian Steve Barry. So stay tuned for some interesting information about this new novel as well as his previous novels. It is Saturday, June the 29th, and we are broadcasting our radio show today from the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a Town Square Media Radio Station here in Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show has been pre recorded for broadcast, so we will be unable to accept calling questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up the upcoming July issue of the Best of Times, which will be available on July the 1st. If you're unable to find a copy of our current or past issues, you can visit our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com. I want to thank those who have attended the AARP driver safety courses at A-Bears Tanning Country. There are, the upcoming course will take place on Saturday, July the 20th, uh, beginning at 8.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at A-Bears Tanning Country of Shreveport, located at 1155 East Burke Coons in Shreveport. Do call for reservations, 318-221-9000. Again, that's 318-221-9000 because seating is very limited. In addition to the four-hour course, there will be light refreshments, giveaways, and door prizes. Again, do call the number 221-9000 to make reservations. The Shreveport Farmers Market and Festival Plaza continues in downtown Shreveport every Saturday at 7 a.m. Great fresh vegetables and many other items. Remember to log on to our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com for listening of announcements made during today's radio show as well as information about upcoming events, activities, and news that you can use. We'll be right back with more information, but now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A-Bears, Tony Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the Best of Times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by A-Bears, Tony Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Coligas. I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show as a special guest is internationally known author, lecturer, and history protector, Mr. Steve Barry. Thank you, Steve, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. Great to be here. Hope you and your wife wife are doing well, and I'm sure you've had lots of travels and book signings and presentations, and in your spare time, you're writing additional novels. Is that right? That's about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, as uh, I'm, I'm proud to have you again on the radio show here on the Best of Times. Uh, I, as you know, you've got followers, millions of them throughout the world, but you have some followers in East Texas and the Arklatex area, and uh, I'm, I'm telling you that you're very popular. Um, I know a lot of people talk about your books. 
based upon your appearances here on the Best of Times and my promotion of you. Um, so again, we're excited about discussing uh, your new book today. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm been encouraged people to, of course, go pick it up at local bookstores, download it, and go to your fabulous website. By the way, you've enhanced your website remarkably over the past year. I want to compliment you. Thank on you. That. We did. Uh, we spent. Um Almost three months, January, February, March, redoing it from top to bottom. So it's a whole it new is. site now with uh, a whole new look to it. So, uh, yeah, we're very pleased the way it turned out. SteveBerry.org. Uh, I want to mention that, SteveBerry.org. .org. Got uh, everything you want to know about me and the books. And, and we have all kinds of cool stuff now. We have YouTube videos up there. We have all kinds of stuff there now. Well, again, we're, we're, we'll talk about some of those items. And um, first of all, let's talk about the the new standalone book, The King's Deceptions. I want to Congratulate you on that. I have read it. Fantastic. I want to encourage all of my listeners to go pick up pick up the book. Remarkable. So how did you get the idea of writing a thriller having to do with the Tudors and Queen Elizabeth I? I was in England, and uh, we were doing some, re- uh, some uh, PR work over there, and we were in a little village north of London, and a lady was telling us about a legend that in that area. It happened in the village of Bisley, and uh, for many centuries there, the, the, the residents of the village, would take a young boy and dress him up in Elizabethan costume and then parade him through the streets. That was very odd. Very odd, and I began to do some research into it, and I discovered I wasn't the first writer to come across this. Uh, Bram Stoker had come across it in 1910, a man who wrote Dracula, and he wrote a a nonfiction book called Famous Imposters that dealt with this legend. And as I began to research the legend even more, I discovered some very interesting things about Elizabeth I. You know, she wore wigs all her life. She wore heavy makeup all her life. She wore clothes that were unflattering to her body all her life. She, her number one duty of all duties was to have an heir. She had to have, you know, her duty was to have an heir to keep the line going, but she refused to marry and refused to have a child and proclaimed herself the virgin queen. She wouldn't let doctors examine her when she died. She uh, left orders that she was not to be autopsied, and when she was and when she was buried, they buried her with her half sister Mary, mingling their bones together. Now those are all very odd things. Very odd. Very odd. But when you add them all up, there's a reason why every one of those happened. It's an interesting reason, and it's one that Cot Malone is dealing with in the King's Deception, and it forms the the heart. Of, of that novel, and it's a it's a secret dealing with Elizabeth I, a secret that still would have great bearing today. It could literally change everything today if the secret were true. Yep, the secret were true, and that's the that's the uh, fifty thousand dollar question. But yes, but it's very strange. All those things you know, it they, is. They, they, just, they don't really make sense until you begin to look at it in a different way. Well, I, I want to remind our listeners: Steve has a unique writing technique that blends in historical fact. He adds a little bit of suspense and a little um, what's the word? Um, a little extra, a little lanyard that's fictional, but makes it an interesting read. But it, he, he educates us in all of his books. And, and this book, I, I did not know a lot about Queen Elizabeth and the Tudors. I mean, a little bit, but not much. But it was it's fascinating, and you interweave this suspense with, with Cotton Malone and all the other characters, uh, which makes it a book that you don't want to 
put it down till you finish it. And I hope so. That's, a, we, that would be, that's the idea. We hope it works <laughs> that way. It doesn't always work that way, but uh, we hope that is. It's particularly here. It's a very uh, unique uh, concept that I stumbled across. And then the so what, what I call the so what, why does it matter if there's a great secret with Elizabeth I? She lived 400 years ago. So what does it matter? Well, it matters an awful lot. And when I found that so what, that's what kind of brought the whole novel together. And Cotton gets kind of wrapped up here with this because it deals with the CIA and something very interesting that happened about four years ago, a real-life event. And Cotton gets drawn into that. It's, a, it's, it's a, like a political thriller with this really cool historical angle to it. Well, it has historical and political, and it also brings in Gary's, um, Cotton Malone's son, Gary. It does. Uh, I, like. I, I wanted to write another story to finish up their tale. Uh, there's a lot of going on between Cotton and his son uh, because of the parentage of, of Gary, and Cotton and his son never have resolved that, and so this book is where they resolve all of those questions. Well, well Steve, I do want to compliment you, and all your books, they're complex, and they interrupt one I don't see how you keep up with all this, all these details yourself when you're writing this. It's just amazing to me. Well, you just have to, you have to just formulate your outline, stick to it, and and of course I read the novel around sixty to seventy times, so I'm going through the book, you know, a lot. So I'm I'm very very familiar with the book when I'm done. In fact, I'm so familiar with it I never want to read it again as long as I live. <laughs> no, I've read it like seventy times, and uh, so it, it's that going through and that rewriting that makes the difference. And add, and adding those little those little particular extra items, a little lanyap items, right? Do you make any major changes, or do you stick with the overall No, it, it changes as we go along. It usually gets shorter is what happens. Every Whoa. reread, it gets a little shorter. It rarely gets longer unless I go in and purposely add something new to the plot, but usually it just tightens up and tightens up and tightens up, and and uh, those rereads are, are what, what make the novel right. If a, a novelist or any writer should be going through their material 60, 70 times, if they're not going through it like that constantly, they're not doing themselves a, a real service. And you, you check with any t- particular items that there's inconsistencies or something that yeah. you would reference somebody that's wrong. Around. Yeah, well, that's, if you read it 70 times, you're going to make sure that everything kind of makes sense. Hey. Not to say that something doesn't slip through every once in a while, but we're pretty good about not having any of those kinds of errors where they're just plot errors or big holes in the plot. I've never really had one of those yet. Uh, we've, we've been pretty good about making sure they're not there. Well, one thing you might want to tell us is about your particular writing style that I've found fascinating is after I read your first book, um, which was the Romanov Prophecy, when I ended the book, there was something that surprised me. I said, I've never seen this in any particular writers that I'm aware of. It, you have your writer's notes. Yes. Explain to our listeners what is what, what, what you mean by that. I put one in the back of every novel, and I take a lot of time on it. It takes me four or five days to write the, that, that writer's note because I go through the book page by page, paragraph by paragraph, and I pull out every little item that I think there might be a question about that you might question, well, is that real or not real? Or where did that come from? Or did he make that up? Or whatever. And so I, I put it together, and then I write the writer's note that basically tells you what's real and what's not throughout the entire novel. Um, now, you 
you'll, the thing is going to be when you read the writer's notes, you're going to be more shocked to find out that what you thought was false is actually true. Uh, is is what usually happens in there. It I does try happen. To stick about ninety percent to reality. I only trip it up about ten percent, and I try to keep it as tight as I can. So the writer's note is there so that when you're done, if you want to read more on these subjects or you want to delve more into it, it'll point you in the direction of where to where to go to, to do that. I would caution readers, though, do not read the writer's note first. Um, it's put at the end of the book for a reason because it will give away the entire plot of the book. So you, you really want to read that when you're done. Well, and that's another thing. I do want to emphasize that. I've had several, re- several of my readers and listeners to the best of times that have got your book and this little lady said, I read it first, and then I could figure out during the book what was true and false. I said, well, that doesn't make interesting uh, reading. Yeah, it gave away a lot of the secrets, is what it is, because there's a lot of, uh, yes. particularly in this book, there's several really shocking little things that come up that you that you hopefully don't see coming. I mean, I hope they don't anyway. They were, they're fairly unique and fairly odd that I can't imagine anybody would, would actually think they were coming because they're, 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 they're something that you just don't see every day. And those things are dealt with in the writer's note in detail. And what, what I've seen on your, your website and your blogs, etc., all your readers love this technique because, as I have done, I have further researched about Queen Elizabeth and other particular items that you mentioned in your writer's note notes that it caused me to read more and more and investigate more and more and it was I mean it was it was enlightening that's the, that's the idea I want the, I want the reader to if they wanted to look at it some more then they would they would have a way to go find it plus I don't think it's fair to write a novel like that and not tell the reader what's real and what's not I think it's a little uh, unfair for the reader to think something's true when it's not well then other people Steve would have to write those particular what he really meant or what is true or what is false right yeah, yeah I yeah. like which is done by others, right? I learned the technique from the great historical novelist Sharon K. Penman. She's a marvelous writer, and she does that. Her writer's notes are very lengthy, and she goes through it really, really carefully. One other aspect. Let's talk about the book in, in retrospect in a way. Is there going to be controversy? Is there going to be, as more and more people read this, you think they're going to be controversial? You had some controversial aspects in a few other prior books. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, particularly the uh, the so what of the book, the, <laughs> the why it's relevant today part of it. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, it's too early to tell at this point uh, as people read it and, and go with it. But it'll be kind of fascinating to see what will um, yep. what will happen uh, uh, as 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 the book gets released. In Europe, particularly, and particularly in England. Yes, and you know, we as here in the best of time. I've had you four times. We don't want to give the rest of the story out. We want people to read it and, and grasp it. We, we don't want to tell them the details. I mean, this is not, uh, you know, we don't want to give them the, the scoop, the story. We're going to give you the snippets here to, to go out there and read, the, pick up the book and read it. And uh, of course, and tell our listeners, it's also available on um, the Kindles and um, oh, yes, in all format, all e-format, audio. Large print, regular print, um, you name it, it's there. Uh, anything else you can enhance our, in, in, enhance no, our listeners? Without giving it away, um, I think we, hopefully, we've given them enough to get them intrigued now because of these, all of these little anomalies dealing with Elizabeth I, which makes her so fascinating. We we also use some real pieces of art that deal with Elizabeth I, right. and have some very interesting symbolism and some interesting mysteries associated with them that are that are that are real that figure into this story as well. And it's just a, you know, you're going to get a good 
overview and a good look at Tudor history and Elizabeth I, and, and at the same time you're going to have a good adventure, about a 32-hour adventure with Cotton Malone as he as he gets himself into big trouble in London. And and you might want to mention, you mentioned in your, in your overview of the book that it, it has... Uh, the, the Libyan terrorist plot, right? I, I used the Pan Am uh, 103 bombing incident where the where the terrorist who was convicted of that mm-hmm. was released by the Scottish government for humanitarian reasons and sent back home to Libya. And I used that as the backdrop of the story. So I used an actual real event. So as I said, this is very much a political thriller. It deals with the CIA and some very interesting things that has a very uh, strong historical um, uh, backdrop to it. And the other aspect, we're, we're going to mention it again because you have a lot of followers that are following the saga. And, and this, well, let's see, what, what what series is this now? The ninth series of Cotton Malone? It's eighth. Eight? Cotton Malone. This is so, uh, eighth adventure, and uh, he's uh, he's had quite a few. And then I said this one pretty much takes place in, all in England. And uh, I knew I wanted to do a book over there at some point, and I was able to, to weave it all together with this one. And, and it blends in his, his son, Gary, so that's the other thing. It blends, it blends in that. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a story here between the characters because uh, those who have read the series know that Gary is not Cotton's natural son. Right. Cotton knows this, and they never really dealt with this or had to, to deal with it. Well, they're going to deal with it here in a big way. That's true. And, uh, and do it. But the thing about a Cotton Malone books, as I've told readers before, you don't have to read them in order. If you know nothing about Cotton and Gary's previous relationship, it doesn't matter. You're going to learn all about it here in the book. So yes, you do. I write the novels where you can start in the beginning, middle, end. There's no, you don't have to, you're not missing anything if you haven't read any of the other books. And that is definitely true. That is definitely true. We'll be right back with more information. But now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears, Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, probably presented by A Bears, Tunning Country of Streetport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Coligas. I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show as a special guest is internationally known author, lecturer, and history protector, Mr. Steve Barry. And Steve is, uh, is introducing his new book in the area, The King's Deception. Again, a congratulations on this remarkable book dealing with the Tudors and Elizabethan Elizabeth the first. Right? Yep, that's right. And uh, we want to encourage our people to uh, all our listeners out there that may have an opportunity, you can visit his website to order this book at www.steveberry.org. Or you can go to our website, thebestoftimesnews.com. It's on our website for easy ordering, uh, as well as at local bookstores throughout the area and throughout the world. Right, Steve? There's going right. to be thousands, millions of them out there. Let's I hope go. so. Not quite that many, but a lot. Oh, they'll be. They'll be I'm, I'm confident this will be quite popular, especially with all the um, uh, Elizabethan 
followers throughout the area. I am very shocked how many there are in Northwest Louisiana. I've had several people that that uh, that heard about well t- me talking about this your book, and uh, they said, "Wow!" And they were explaining me some about their ideas about these particular rumors, etc. So it's going to be qu- it's it is going to be quite popular as more and more people pick up the book and read it. And I'm sure you're going to get lots of cards and letters and comments on on your blog. The other compliment I want to have you you've published uh, four ebooks that means right they're only available for downloading via apps on their Android or iPad or iPhone right initially then we put them we print them in the back of the paperback edition oh that's yes that we is do true. print them in the back for folks who don't read ebooks the uh, <laughs> the ebook is put out in the paperback so the ebook the, the tutor plot which we did with this book will be printed in the back of the King's Deception paperback that will come out in January but initially it's only av- available in e and and I, I will tell you the the recent one is called the Tudor Plot. Give our little listeners uh, a little bit of insight about that one. It's a, it's a a story about Cop Malone from seven years ago when he first encounters the bad guy from the King's Deception, and he'll first encounter him. And he deals with him in, in, a, in a very interesting way with something that happens in London seven years ago. And it involves uh, Arthur. I dealt with Arthur in it. And it's a novella. This is the longest one I've ever done. It's uh, about 35,000 words, which is pretty hefty. It's about the third of the length of a novel. So it's a we called it a novella. The other three that I did, The Balkan Escape, The uh, Devil's Gold, and The Admiral's Mark, were short stories. Right. About twelve thousand, between seven thousand and fifteen thousand words each. Now we put these out for a specific reason. They are they are marketing tools that are used to draw attention to the coming novel. And we put them out about thirty days before the novel's released, and we use them for marketing and promotion to stimulate pre-orders of the novel. And it has worked very effectively. It's something that uh, a lot of writers have done. I think I was the very first writer in all of the industry that this was done with about four or five years ago. It was an experiment Random House tried, and now it's done quite often. Wow. And it works. And your first one was the Balkan Escape, Balkan right? Balkan Escape. That was the first one we tried. It It was an experiment. And I read it. Yeah, and, and I write these short stories, by the way. It's really unique. You write them. If you read the short story first and then you mm-hmm. read the novel, no, you got it. You see it. If you read <laughs> the novel first and then read the short story, you got it, too. There's no requirement that they have to read either one in order or that you even have to read either one to do. I just sort of fill in a little gap from the novel with the short story that is really meaningless to you if you've not read the short story, but if you, I mean the novel, but if you have read the novel, then you kind of say, okay, I got it. it. But the short stories stand on their own, and the Tudor plot's out now. In fact, it's the fastest-selling one we've ever had. It's, it's sold uh, more copies in the last three weeks than the, than the others have ever done. Um, the other three are still available, but they're bundled up now in, in what's called Tales from Cotton Malone. Yes. So three, three bundles that you buy on E. But if you're don't if you're not an E person, they're printed in the back of the paperbacks for the Emperor's Tomb, the Jefferson Key, and the Columbus Affair. So they they are available where you can read them in print. Well, I I learned something new about the how that was in, uh, initiated, and you were one of the first. I'm I'm take. You know, I, I think I was I, the first uh, that I, was ever tried on, and it worked, and it worked. It has well. worked. 
Random House started doing it on others, and now it's sort of a standard thing that you see. And it's just a, it's like, as I said, it's like an ad that pays for itself, and it stimulates pre-sales of the novel, and that's its whole purpose. It's also a way for people to get to know me and experiment and see if they like me for a dollar ninety nine or two ninety nine <laughs> as opposed to nine ninety nine or twelve ninety nine. Okay, so see, can, that's a that's a good line. And they can check you out and check your characters that they've never had right. involved in your and, and the, the characters involved. And that I think that's the other aspect. I mean, I think that's why the Tudor plot so so interesting. People like the word Tudor and they want to say, Oh, this is fascinating, you know and it is, it's a good story. It's it a, is. A very evolved a, a big story, as I said. 35,000 words huge it's a, it's a big, no, a big, it's a big uh, novella and it's a complete little story from when Cotton still worked for the government Okay, continue. I, w- I want to emphasize, I think a lot of my listeners uh, have, have picked up some of your prior books, but I'm still fascinated about your first book, The Amber Room. Tell, tell our listeners about your trials and tribulations regarding getting this particular book published. Well, it took me 12 years from the day I wrote my first word to the day I sold my first word. That was from 1990 to 2002. The Amber Room was the fourth novel that I'd ever written, but it was the first one ever bought, the first one published, and it made it to 2003 and did did very well. I was um, it kind of got me started and got me going, and then the Romanoff Prophecy came next, and Third Secret came after that, and they did very well. And then the Templar Legacy, my fourth book, was the big breakout book that kind of kicked me up a notch. And that's when Cotton Malone was created. And Cotton has had eight adventures. This will be the eighth one this year. There's been seven since with the eighth one coming. And I've been very fortunate that each book is sort of built on the one before it. And we've been slowly and steadily building an audience and building a career. And now we're in 41 languages in 50 countries around the world. Wow. Typically. But I I want to emphasize, though, that some of your novels are standalone. Others are series. but, But you do repeat some of the series with Cotton Malone to allow the, 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 the reader to not have to worry about what happened in the prior yeah, book. Yeah, the, 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 the Amber Room, Romanoff Prophecy, Third Secret, and Columbus Affair are totally standalone novels, completely on their own. The eight Cotton Malone books are, are series. They're definitely a series, but you don't have to read. I have people start at the back and read to, to the front. You don't have to read them in any order. If you were to read them in order, you might find a few things you recognize, but if you don't read them in order, you'll never notice those things. They, they won't bother you that you feel like you missed something. Well, again, I will say that I think your Amber Room, the Romanov Prophecy, and the, the Third Secret, as well as the Columbus Affair, we we got we need to talk about a little bit briefly about that one, uh, because I I know several people have picked up that particular book, and it's hard to find. They have to go online to order it or to to download it. If you want a if you want a hard copy, the yeah. paperbacks out, but if you want a hardcover, so yeah, yeah, you have to kind of hunt for that. Yeah, you do have to hunt for that particular item. Uh, but tell our listeners a little bit about what the Amber Room's about. I've told some World War II uh, experts, and they were not aware of this. Well, it's a treasure that was created in the 19th century and given to the Tsar of Russia. Uh, uh, created in the 18th century, I'm sorry, given to the Tsar of Russia. And it's a room paneled in amber. It was the most spectacular thing ever done with amber by man. And um, it was uh, in the Catherine's Palace right out of Sarskiskilo, which is the city of the Tsars in St. Petersburg. And uh, the Germans invaded, 
took the room and took it back to Germany, put it on display because they considered it a German artifact. Why do they consider it a German artifact? It was created by the Prussian king. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And so he gave it. He gave it to the Tsar of Russia. So they considered it German. And it was actually, it became the most popular exhibit during the war for Germans to go see. And it was in the Konigsberg Palace, the castle at Konigsberg is where they had it on display. 1944, I'm 45, it was boxed up because the Russians were about to take Konigsberg, crated up and never seen again. Wow, yes. And no one has ever seen it to this day. Now, the Russians have since recreated the room in the Saint, in St. Petersburg, and it, there's a reproduction of the room, but the original is gone. So I did a novel on what happened to the original. It's a great story. It deals with a, an Atlanta lawyer, uh, two, two Atlanta lawyers, and they get caught up in this uh, adventure over there looking for the Amber Room in Germany. Well, it's a fast. I'll tell listeners. I, I was I was totally hooked on you when I read that book. <laughs> I read the Romanov prophecy actually first, then the Amber Room second, and they, they both were fascinated. Being that I have some ethnicity of of uh, of in Romania and Russia and Greece, that the Romanov prophecy was quite interesting to, to me and my and my family. So, uh, okay, a lot of people say that is the the uh, those two books are their favorite books of mine. Which is which is very nice to hear because they're my early books, and you know you like the writer likes to think they get a little better as they go along. So the later stuff they they tend to think <laughs> might be a little better. But I, I have a lot of people tell me that they like those books the best. Well, that they are they are all great. I will tell you, I have not found a book that I did not like reading, and I did not want to did not want to set it aside most of the times I, uh, I do it in, in one particular one particular reading in most of these books and my wife gets mad at me um, and sometimes I reread them several times to uh, because I'm probably speed reading a few of them too, too much and you want to know all those particular items you know I bet you a lot of your listeners after they read the writer's notes that you have in the back will go back and that's what I've done lately is gone back to those particular chapters to look at look those particular sections that you reference in, in the editor the, uh, the writer's notes that's the idea, to, to stimulate interest that they will go back and take a look at things a little closer and maybe want to learn more about it, and that's why I, I, that's the whole reason I give that information. The the the, the other, well, all of them are fascinating, but I just want to touch, touch on a few of them. I thought your latest standalone, the other standalone, The Columbus Affair, was a, was another unique unique book and a unique story. Uh, give our listeners a little bit of a snippet about that one. It deals with Christopher Columbus and whether or not he may well have been Jewish. There's a lot of discussion about that, of whether Columbus had been Jewish. And so we might say, well, what does it matter if Columbus was Jewish? Well, it would matter a great deal, actually. I added a little twist to the story, just a tiny little twist. And it's a good the story deals with uh, uh, Columbus and what happened in Jamaica. There's a great secret down there to this day that's associated with Christopher Columbus that I came across, and I used it in the novel. I, the Prague figures into the book because there's some there. There's actually a connection between Prague, Jamaica, and Columbus, which is very interesting. And all of that sort of fit together in a very uh, uh, 
interesting, you know, a fascinating look at Christopher Columbus from a new angle that no one in, in fiction has really explored much with. And I created a new character there, Tom Sakin, who is a uh, disgraced newspaper reporter. And so he, he gets caught up in this adventure. And it deals a little bit with Cotton's World because the Magellan Billet uh, makes an appearance in there. Yes, it well. does. So there's a little bit of a carryover into Cotton's World. Okay, but quickly explain, I know, without giving it away, it's called the Columbus Affair. Uh-huh. And I had people that said, well, is that talking about his loves, love lives and all the places he visited when he came to the New World? No, another angle. Another <laughs> angle with the word affair. Uh, there, it's, uh, I guess, affair meaning incident or... or um, Something that happens uh, similar to like you remember the old Man from Uncle series. Everything was titled the the affair, the blank affair. The blank very, affair. very good. Or, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's Man right. from you know, Uncle. Very that good. Yeah, that's the kind of a, a, a European way of saying uh, an incident or something. And so I I just picked up on that word. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because I've had several people saying I don't want to I don't want a love story. I want a suspense novel. I said well you could have a little love in all these particular books, but the, it doesn't deal with all of Columbus Affair. No, there's no not, love in the book. No, it's, not, it's a father-daughter story. Is what yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. We'll be right back with more information. But now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, partly presented by A-Bears, Tiny Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710 Kiel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, probably presented by A-Bears, Tenning Country Road Report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Coligas, and I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show as a special guest is internationally known author, lecturer, history protector, and preserver, Mr. Steve Barry. And Steve is introducing his book that is already available at bookstores and on Amazon.com and on his website at stevebarry.org, The King's Deception. And uh, give our listeners a little bit of, in, in case they just turned into, tuned into the show, what what is the premise of King's Deception? Oh, it's an interesting tale dealing with uh, Elizabeth I and a great mystery and secret associated with her that I came across in London, over the in, in uh, north of London there, and uh, a legend that involves uh, why a village there would dress a young boy in Elizabethan costume and parade him through the streets uh, on, a, on a certain day every year for many centuries. And I uh, stumbled onto that and uh, made a novel out of it. And it's an exciting novel. I'll tell all I highly recommend that you read this, pick up this book, order this book, and read it. You're going to be fascinated by it. And in addition, he has uh, many other novels that are available. But uh, his recent e-books are available. And one recent one is the is the Tudor plot that is available for downloading on his website. And uh, as as he, he mentioned to our listeners prior, it will be in the paperback version of the King's Deception that will be released sometime in January, Steve? That's right. 
So that'll be a, a little value-added particular item when you get the paperback version. But the hard copy is is uh, available currently uh, on his website. On uh, our, You can go to our website, thebestoftimesnews.com, or at local area bookstores and, uh, and various other outlets throughout throughout the world. Sure. Uh, before we finish, I want to I want to touch on uh, uh, the we talked about we got several various books we could spend hours talking about them. But another one that, that I found fascinating because of my love of Thomas Jefferson and uh, that era is the Jefferson Key. Tell our listeners about this particular book. And I've got many uh, many of uh, lawyers and legal people in the area that when I tell them about this book, a lot of them have read it and have, have found it quite fascinating. It deals with an uh, Article One, Section 8, a clause in the United States Constitution, one that would probably shock most Americans to know that it's there, which is the Letters of Mark, which gives Congress the power to hire pirates to steal on behalf of the United States government. We actually have that power in our Constitution. And so I wove a, a thriller dealing with Cotton Malone around this, this, this clause in the Constitution that deals with uh, some modern-day pirates who are very interesting characters, not your Hollywood pirates, but the way pirates really work. <laughs> You're going to learn about their society and what they were really like. And it also deals with presidential assassinations and how the four presidential assassinations that we have had in this country, how they are remarkably linked together. It's very interesting, the similarities between these that I came across in the research. And it was very interesting. And it was so interesting that I was able to put a thriller, you know, find a thriller in there. And it is, it is an intricate um Plot and suspenseful. I learned. I learned a lot about history about this. I mean, your editor's notes were remarkable. That caused me to read more about this particular era, but also about the Jefferson Key, which you might yeah, this want to is Cotton's first adventure in America. His first domestic adventure, where he's come home. I knew I was going to bring him home at some point and have an American adventure, and this is it. So you're going to get a good dose of American history here. It goes up and down the Eastern Seaboard. It goes from Washington D.C. to Bath. North Carolina, which was Pirate Central about 250 years ago, um, <laughs> and then up to Nova Scotia and New York City. It's a, it's just a, it's a very interesting American thriller with Cotton and Cassiopeia and 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 all that goes on uh, uh, with this clause in the Constitution and these presidential assassinations and all of this. And I like it so much that there's going to be some more American adventures for Cotton. Great, great. But again, I I I'm really fascinated by that particular book, and again, learned a lot. And my I have some friends in North Carolina that were not aware about Bath. It's a lovely little place. I used to go there as a child quite a bit, so I remembered it very well. I went back to do some research here. It's a little bitty town. There's only about 200 people that live there. But, you know, 275 or so years ago, it was the bustling capital of North Carolina and a place where pirates hung out. <laughs> this was, a, this was a, a really happening place to be, and a lot happened in Bath, North Carolina back then. And uh, I just put my pirates there and have them live there now today. And the other thing is I told somebody about that. They said, I wonder if they found buried treasure in that area. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about that. Particularly Blackbeard's treasure. Yeah, yes, yes. That's where Blackbeard actually lived. That was his home. Uh-huh. There. He was killed not far from there uh, on Orinoke, 
uh, right at the at the end of the Pamlico, and the Pamlico Sound is where he, where he was killed. So there's a lot of legend there that, that deals with all that. The other book that I want to talk about, because we are in northwest Louisiana, in Texas, Arkansas, and Louisiana, no, known and currently known for gas production and oil and gas production, and I've suggested to many of my oil and gas buddies, you need to read a book about uh, about China and about the emperor's tomb. They said, why? It's related. Yeah, it's a book about oil that has nothing to do with the Middle East. Right. And nothing they, whatsoever to do, but it has everything to do with oil, which is the uh, the theory of where oil comes from. You know, we believe that oil comes from carbon-based Organisms, so it's organic, you know, it's biotic. Biotic mm-hmm. oil is what we have. You know, right. dead dinosaurs, dead creatures, <laughs> dead plants. That's where it comes from. Uh, but there's another theory, and the Russians right. have this theory, and they actually believe this to be true, and they could very well be right. Is that it, oil is abiotic? It doesn't come from anything that was once alive. It's actually produced naturally by the Earth's internal uh, forces, and that means that it's infinite. That it would go on and on and on and on. And they have some proof to this. And in this book deals with this, uh, how to prove this theory, this abiotic oil theory, which could change everything. Because oil, everything about oil is based on the fact that it is a finite resource. If it's an infinite resource, that changes everything. It does. It does. Again, I'm fascinated. I've had several people that compliment and thank me for referring that particular book book to them as well. Uh, one other aspect, you, you have many things that you and your wife promote, but one is History Matters. Tell our listeners a little bit about what History Matters, your foundation, deals with. I started the foundation four years ago, and uh, it was a way to help communities raise money for historic preservation. And we've done around 70 events now around the country, and we've raised around $600,000 for various historical projects. And we do it in a variety of ways. A community will contact us, and uh, we'll work with them, and we'll figure out what works best. Usually what we do is a writer's workshop. We go into the community. We do a writer's workshop. You buy your way in with a contribution, and all of that money goes to the historic project. We don't charge to come. We don't charge expenses or anything. I actually pay my own way to come to do it. And it's a four-hour intensive writer's workshop that helps raise that money. And then other ways we do it are through galas, dinners, meeting greets, all kinds of things. Well, anything and anything that the community wants us to do to help them uh, raise money. Uh, we've done cemetery, historic cemeteries, documents, buildings, uh, libraries, uh, you know, uh, museums, uh, historic structures. We've done all kinds of things to help raise money for them, and we've taught about two thousand students oh. in various writers' workshops. So, have you have we done some follow up on those particular students? Are they becoming uh, a student novelist? There are some who have actually. Uh, uh, there was a, two or three of them who have been com- been published. Oh. The, the seminar is not just for writers who want to be published. The, the, the it's a craft of writing seminar, and it deals with all writers, whatever stage. Because you realize ninety percent of most writers do not write to be published. They write because they have a little voice in their head that tells them to write. So <laughs> we, we have some who, who want to be published, and we've had some success from, from that a little bit. But we mainly want to teach the craft of writing and keep people moving forward in the
the right direction. Oh, that's a good uh, that's a good aspect. But again, I compliment you and your wife on on this foundation of history matters because history does matter. And I'm getting more and more appreciation of reading all your books. I mean, though though it's interesting reading, it's suspenseful. It also I think educates the reader a little bit about history and and particular aspects that we don't even remember or might have t- touched on it in junior high and high school and maybe college. But now you you bring it back to reality. And as I'm getting older, I'm I'm, I'm thinking I really more enjoy history than I've, I've ever have. Well, that's the way it is. Uh, history and when you were in college and high school and school is just really dull because it's a lot of facts and information about stuff that happened long ago and who cares? Well, as you get older, you realize that it matters. It does matter. Everything that happened back then matters and that's why we care because that's how we learn about what to do and what not to do is by looking at where we came from. So it becomes a lot more interesting the older we get. And that particular I love trivia and information, and you bring some of those points up. And, and, and something could change the course of history. One particular decision, one yeah. battle, one particular aspect, one saying. I mean, and that's why history history does. Well, this book, The King's Deceptions, that way. There's, yes. there's a great secret associated with Elizabeth I, and, and people would say, well, who cares? She's been dead 400 years. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, if it's true, it literally could ignite a war, basically, is what it could do. It could ignite everything. It could change everything if that secret is true. And there's a lot of information that leads us to believe that it could very well be true. Uh, before we get off of History Matters, how do they contact you if individuals in the area or throughout the world that might be listening to this show, how do they contact you and your staff about uh, considering a project? You go to project. my website, stevebeard.org, and there's a History Matters uh, tab in the, uh, on the left-hand side. You click on that, and those emails come straight to us. Good. We get about 20, 25 requests a year, and we pick about six or eight. If we can't do it, we try to put it off to the next year and do it. We try to accommodate everybody. Some of them just don't fit. We're not we're not in business to give money away. We have no money to give. We help you raise money. Is what oh, we do. And, that, and that's we, a we need you to partner car. with us, and we partner with you to make it happen and, and and do it. So we we find the right communities who get that and who want to do that. And we've been fortunate. I mean, we've uh, we've we've had some pretty good successes uh, with with where we've been. Thank you, Steve, for joining us today here on the Best of Times. My best wishes to you and your wife, and great continued success in your your writing and your history matters and all your other projects and again we want to emphasize to our listeners go visit his website at www.steveberry that's b-e-r-r-y dot o-r-g thank you Steve for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour great to be here have a good one bye bye you too sir We'll be right back with more information, but now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears, Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel.